Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. It's awesome to have you with us today. And uh, I want to say hello to those of you joining us online. Thanks for participating through that venue. If you're in a parent viewing room, great option. If you have small children, you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, anybody checking us out in our cafe, great to have you here. A couple of quick things. Uh, We do five and five after every service. Five things about Westbridge Church, five minutes or less. So right afterwards, if you're new, if you've been coming for a long time, doesn't matter how long you've been coming, if you just want to learn more, right down here, right after service. Secondly, the Westbridge Connect is a deeper dive into that. So here's, that's this coming Friday. We're going to be here for maybe an hour, a little bit more than that, because we'll serve dinner. We're serving Chipotle. So come and get Chipotle. We've got childcare available. You can register for that. And then uh, we're just going to do a deep dive on who are we as a church. Now, maybe you've never been to a church like this, or maybe you've uh, moved to the area. Maybe you didn't never been a part of a church before at all, and you're just exploring. Uh, Or maybe you're like, man, I've been in churches, but you guys do things different, and you want to know why do we do things the way that we do things. That's for you. That night is for you. So register for that uh, on the Church Center app, on our website. Go to the events and and sign up for that. That's going to be a really, really great night where we walk through who we are, our core values, who we're striving to be, and how you can be a part of it. So we don't want you to miss that. And then finally, all of these, uh, all in your seats, there's group catalogs. Our groups kick off next week. And a couple of them in particular, uh, if you participated in Run For Her last year or you want to participate this year, uh, that's in the group catalog. You can sign up through the group catalog. There's a welcome breakfast for that coming up in February. And so there's a ton of great options. There's several groups that aren't in the catalog that got added since we created the catalog last week. So we're adding more groups. Uh, Last week I said this, if you haven't found your group, maybe some of you need to start a group, and a bunch of you took me up on that. So I appreciate that. So we've started several new groups, and uh, if you're still looking, either start a group or check out the app. That's the uh, most updated version of all the groups that are available. And uh, that's it. So uh, we we kicked off this series. Uh, This series is called Holy Shift. And the reason for that is because in the new year, we said there are some foundational habits that we can put into place, uh, some really fundamental shifts in our thinking, in our behaving, that if we will make these simple shifts, uh, it'll actually affect our life in an incredible way. That that these fundamental uh, shifts have the ability to actually put us on a trajectory to live the kind of of life that God wants us to live. And, And so last week we said, you know, uh, we're, we're better together, that we want to make a shift from me to we, that we are better together. And so we want to, you know, get really good at uh, doing together better. And so uh, that's a big shift. This week, we're going to talk about something a little different. Uh, I want to start by asking you to finish this sentence, okay? This sentence right here. If I just had blank, I'd be happy. If I just had blank, I'd be happy. So I want you to take uh, 15 seconds, and whatever that is, share it with the person next to you. Ready? Go. Now, if that's too personal, just make something up. Okay, that's fine. If I just had blank, then I'd be happy. If you're online, drop it in the chat. Let us know. If I just had this, I'd be happy. Now, they have done surveys and asked people this question. Here's what's crazy about this. I have the top six answers to this question on the board, all right? And I figured we'd do this kind of family feud style, all right? So here we go. Uh, If I just had blank, I'd be happy. Does anybody know the survey says top answer is? Ding, ding, ding. Someone said a million dollars. Yeah, that would do it, right? If I just had money, I'd be happy. 
right? And man, we all know that if I just had more money, I'd be happy. That's top of the list. Uh, We all knew it right off the bat. There's some other ones. Uh, Here's another one. If I just had accomplishment. For some people, it's, man, if I just uh, had another degree after my name, if you would call me doctor (laughs) or, you know, reverend. Then, you know, if I could have a few more degrees after the name, if I could climb the ladder at my job, a few more promotions, uh, then, then, then I'd be happy, right? Status. For some people, it's this. If I just had appearance, I'd be happy. If I could just be a little bit more beautiful, a little bit, you know, more handsome, a little more pretty. If I could, you know, uh, change my appearance, look a little younger. For other people, if I just had a house or a car, Again, this goes back to possessions, right? House, car. I just, if I just had a house, if I just had a car, if I just, maybe I have a car, but if I just had one that I didn't have to, you know, put jumper cables on every time I wanted to get it going. If I just had romance, I'd be happy. If I could just find that guy, that girl, that, you know, my soulmate, then I'd be happy. Then my life would be complete. And then finally, this was number six. If I just had a uh, consumer or food item, then I'd be happy. These are the people that are like, I just need a taco. You know, like, come on. If I just had a taco, I'd be happy. And here's what's amazing. 93% of people believe that their happiness is found in one of these six items. 93% of Americans thought, if I could get one of these six items, I'd be happy. And here's what, here's what else is fascinating. Uh, the, the social scientists that do all the surveys and figure out all the, you know, behavior and the mindset and all the things... They said that every single one of these things, when we get them, the maximum amount of time that it makes us happy is three days. So you get it, and you're like, yes! And you're happy for three days. And you know it's true, because then, then all of a sudden you're like, well, now I need more. Now I need more money and more accomplishment. And well, I need to look better. I need, and it's just, their appetites, they're never satisfied. And then here's another thing that's fascinating. Every year they do something called the Harris Poll, and they poll people on uh, if they are happy or not. And every year they do this. And uh, does anyone want to guess the percentage of Americans who say they're happy? In, in the culture that we live in, with all the stuff that we have, here's the percentage of people who say they're happy. One-third of Americans are happy, and they even say this, the number is actually lower than that because there is a certain type of people, a a certain group of people that are just wired that they're going to lie about it no matter what because they don't want to admit that they're not happy. And so they're just going to lie. They're like, no, I'm good. (laughs) And here's the deal. We all know that there is a connection between our money and our happiness. Isn't that true? And whenever you hear a a speaker or a pastor or someone like me say, you know what, money won't make you happy, money won't make you happy, money won't make you happy, you're kind of like, yeah, uh, sure. (laughs) And none of us believe that. I don't believe that, and you don't believe that. I don't care how many times we hear money won't make you happy. We always think, well, try me. Where do I sign up for the social experiment? Like, give me a million dollars to spend, and then, and then you can just gauge me and see if I'm happier at the end. And at the end of the day, we all think money might make me a little more happy, right? And someone said this to me once, uh, money won't make you happy, but you've never seen someone on the back of a jet ski not smiling. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a good point. That's because there is a connection between happiness and money. And and bear with me here. You're like, man, I'm checking out church for the first time. I knew it. You're going to talk about money. Here we go. 
So I promise you, uh, we're not a cult. Uh, uh, okay, I promise you, we're gonna talk about this in a really healthy way. And, uh, you know, we, we only use the jet on Sundays, all right? <laughs> but here's the, here's the truth. Whether you have been around church for a long time, uh, maybe you're not a church person, maybe you're not a faith person, uh, maybe you're just exploring, maybe you just stumbled across this on YouTube later on this week, and it's, you know, Thursday at 1.30 in the afternoon. Here's the reality. Let's just for a second suspend the idea that we're in church. Let's for a second suspend the, the notion that, you know, I'm a pastor and, and this is church and this is, you know, about faith. Let's just look at common sense. Let's just look at this idea that is extremely helpful for us. There is a connection between money and happiness. And, and put all the other stuff aside. Let's just look at life, right? Here's what most of us believe the connection is between our money and our happiness. Most of us believe this. This is what our culture teaches us. When it comes to money, most of us believe it's about more. That if I had more, then I'd be happy. If I had more money, then I'd be happy. Let me ask you a couple of questions and just keep your eyes and your elbows to yourself. How much more money would it take to make you more happy? How much more money would it take to make you more happy? See, here's how you can define happiness. And when you say, well, what does happy mean? Happy people are people who are at peace. Wouldn't you agree? Like, you know some people who it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter what goes on, like, in their circumstances and what goes on around them. It's just like, man, when you, when you know them, it's like they're content. They're just like, they're good with them. And, and when you know somebody who experiences that kind of peace, that's happiness. And that means this, how much more money would it take to give you peace? Or, or uh, the, the answer to, for every single one of us is this, more than I currently have. That's the answer, right? And yet, here's what's fascinating about this. You know people. You know people who have a whole lot more money who don't have a whole lot more peace. And you know people who have a lot less money who seem to have a lot more peace. And so the connection must not be to more. The connection between my happiness and my money, more must not be the connection. In fact, uh, King Solomon was a guy who lived thousands of years ago. The scriptures tell us he had incredible wisdom as a gift from God. He was one of the wisest men who ever lived. As a result of that, uh, he leveraged his, his wisdom and gained a lot of wealth, a lot of fame, a lot of status. And he journals about this. He, he, he actually writes uh, and keeps like a, a log of like the things that he pursued and the things that he accumulated and the things that he accomplished. And, and then he writes about how it affected his life. And it's so fascinating to read some of these journal entries from this guy who had incredible wisdom and incredible wealth and he lived thousands of years ago. Listen to what he writes about this subject. And, and it's so incredibly practical for us today. He says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it, as every lottery winner will tell you. So what good is it? What good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There's another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. It's fascinating, right? It's, it's such wisdom. 
That means this idea that we struggle with, that my happiness is tied to more when it comes to money, is really not a 21st century issue. It's not an American issue. It is a people issue. Solomon was dealing with this 3,000 years ago and writes about it. This has been affecting us for thousands and thousands of years. And we can't seem to figure out that the connection between money and happiness isn't more. Rather, here's what Jesus taught. Jesus would say this, the key to money is management. It's management. It isn't about more. It isn't about how much you have, how much more you have. It's about how you manage however much you have. However, however much more, however much less, however, whatever amount you have, that's what determines whether or not you're going to be happy when it comes to money. Not how much more, but how do I manage whatever amount has been entrusted to me? See, money actually can contribute to your happiness if you manage it well. You could say it like this. Anything that undermines your peace, if, if peace is what really happiness is all about, then anything that undermines your peace undermines your happiness, right? And, and that means if you mismanage your money, you undermine your own peace, regardless of how much more of it you earn. If you're not at peace, you're undermining your own happiness. This is where many Americans find themselves today. Because if you don't manage your money, your money will manage you. And if your finances are managing you, then you don't have peace. You feel out of control. And in any area of your life where you feel out of control and there is anxiety and you feel anxiety, you don't have peace. So you're undermining your own happiness if you don't manage your money in a way that if you're constantly pursuing more. Constantly pursuing more means less peace. But managing it, managing it in a way that is wise brings peace, which means it brings happiness. That's why the words of Jesus carry so much weight. That's why they're so practical. When Jesus talks about this, here's what he says. He says, look, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It's interesting language. You would think Jesus would say that the opposite of God is you can't be devoted to God and serve the devil or Satan, or evil, or sin, right? But he doesn't. The opposite of God in this context is money. Why is that? Because he's talking about devotion. Jesus says you will either serve God and be devoted to God, or you'll be enslaved to your money and possessions. And in Jesus's way of thinking, the chief competitor for our devotion is our pursuit of more. More possessions. More uh, more things to acquire and accumulate and, and more things to possess. And God wants your devotion. That means God wants to call the shots in your life. He wants to be the Lord of your life because he created you and because he loves you and he wants good for you. And there's something else that wants to call the shots in your life. Your desire and my desire for more stuff. That also wants to call the shots in my life. And Jesus says, but you can't have it both ways. You can't have two masters. You'll be devoted to one or the other. Well, what does it mean to be devoted to? It means I've got my eye on. It means uh, devoted to means this is what's driving me. Devoted to means this is what I'm committed to. De devoted to means that's my filter for decision-making. This is what I'm moving towards. So let me ask you this. Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something stupid? For sure. Yeah, how about this? Has your desire for something, your devotion to getting more, ever caused you to do something you regret? Yep, for sure. That's amazing, isn't it? Think about that. That's a desire for that equates to a devotion to. 
You're devoted to that thing. You were devoted to acquiring the thing that you wanted. Your devotion to your desire to spend in order to satisfy some appetite that will never be satisfied by simply getting more. And yet we just want to satisfy that appetite, so we pursue more, we pursue more, we do something stupid, we do something we regret, and then we're like, ah, now I'm happy for three days. And then we need more. And Jesus says, in that process, you actually become enslaved to money. It becomes your master. You can't be devoted to God and at the same time devoted to the pursuit of more all the time. And here's where this starts out for us. There's three words in our culture that are associated with money. And the first word is this, discontentment. Discontentment. This word is a powerful thing. Discontentment ensures that I'm never satisfied with what I have because I'm always aware of all that I don't have. And man, our culture does a fantastic job of keeping us aware of all that we don't have, doesn't it? It's unbelievable. Awareness drives our contentment. Awareness is a powerful dynamic. When I'm aware of what others don't have, when we send global teams to other parts of the world and you see the way that other people around the world live and you suddenly become aware of what others don't have, it makes you feel incredibly wealthy. You feel incredibly blessed and incredibly wealthy and incredibly fortunate. And then when you suddenly become aware of what you don't have, you feel poor. You got gypped. It's amazing how that shifts in our mind, isn't it? And our culture does a great job of keeping us aware of all the things we don't have, the things that need to be upgraded, the things that are newer and shinier and faster and better. You can't even remember all the times you walked through the mall and thought, I didn't even know that existed. And now I need it. <laughs> I need one of those. 10 seconds ago, it wasn't even on my radar. But now it's like, I got to leverage whatever I can to get one of those things. That's amazing. You go to your friend's house and their house is bigger. It's a little bit newer. It's got some modern touches. And you get back to your place and you're like, ah, this all sucks. <laughs> all your unfinished projects suddenly just staring you in the face, you know? It's discontentment. And awareness fuels that discontentment, right? And here's another money word. Greed. That's a fun one, right? Here's what's great about greed. I mean, just between you and me, let's just keep it in the room, right? I can always tell when someone's greedy. And, and, I, and, it's, and it's none of us. That's what's amazing about it. Like, I can always tell when someone's greedy, but, but it's never me and it's never you, right? So it's fascinating how that works. But greed, this is one of those things that we don't talk about because none of us are greedy. But I can tell you who is. Let's look at Jesus' definition of greed. See, greed is simply the assumption that everything is for my consumption. It is the assumption of consumption. It's this idea that, okay, everything that comes to me must be for me. I mean, if it arrives to me, it must be for me. Did you know that uh, if you stop and think about this, every one of us are rich? Now, now think about this. We think that uh, only the rich people are the greedy people, but we're not greedy, so we must not be rich. And yet, if you look at how we compare to the rest of the world, if you make $25,000 a year annual household salary, you are in the top 5% of wage earners in the world. If you make $50,000 annual household, combined household salary, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. 
Like, oh, I'm doing better than I thought. <laughs> See, the truth is 50% of the world's population lives on less than $2.50 a day. So if you went and saw a movie sometime in the last month, you're rich. If you bought popcorn at that movie, you're filthy rich. <laughs> if, if you went to a coffee house sometime in the last month and bought a cup of coffee that you didn't brew yourself, you're rich. If you own a car, even if it's a 1970 AMC Gremlin, you're rich. Did you know that most places in the world where people live is in these houses that are not that big, made out of cinder blocks? And for most of us in the United States, that's where we keep our cars. If you have access to clean water, you're rich. If you've ever traded in a perfectly working item for another perfectly working item, you're rich. Now, that doesn't make you greedy, but our temptation is to think, well, rich people are the greedy people. See, you didn't even realize how rich you were until you came to church today. Don't you feel better about yourself? You're like, well, I'm doing better than I thought. This is amazing. That doesn't make you greedy. You can have a little bit and you can be greedy. You can have a lot and not be greedy at all. Greed is the assumption that whatever you own, however much has been placed in your hands, is all for your benefit. That's greed. Greed says, if it comes to me, then it must be for me. If you live with the assumption of consumption, these are Jesus' words, he says, you are a greedy person. That's Jesus' language. In fact, if everything that comes to you, if you assume that it's for you, then you will spend 100% of it on you. And the problem is, greed is an appetite that will never fully be satisfied. That means you will always need more. And the problem in our culture that we live in today, this wasn't always the case. But for you and I today in the United States of America, we don't even have to stop spending when we've run out of money. Isn't that good news? That leads to the third word. It's a fun one. Debt. What a great word. Debt is when I prefer to owe someone rather than want something. These are your options. I want something, but I don't have the money for it, so I can want. Or I can go ahead and get it, and then I can owe someone. And there's tension either way, right? Both of these options provide a tension. Here's what I can tell you. I want is always better than I owe. I'd rather want and not have than have and owe. When you want something and you don't have it, there's tension. When you owe someone something and you don't want to pay it, there's tension. So you got to choose which tension you're going to live with. And we've all lived long enough to know that the tension of wanting something and not being able to get it is a lot better than owing someone something and not being able to pay it. That's a tension you don't want to live with. I want, that's between you and God. God, I really want this. I just can't afford it. That's between you and God. I owe, that's between you and your creditor. And God sides with your creditor. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you, sh you should pay what you owe. And the crazy thing is, the more money you make, the more tempted we are to leverage debt and to go into debt. And it's absolutely pointless because what you're doing is you're trading your peace for something that can never bring you peace. It's, it's fascinating to think about. Now, let me just ask you one more question as it relates to these three words, because you've got these words, right? You've got discontentment and you've got greed and you've got debt. And they're all up on the screen. So let me ask you this question. Which one of these words makes you happy? Any of them? Is anybody just like, oh, debt, that's the one. <laughs> no. Every one of these erodes your happiness. 
Discontentment erodes your happiness. Greed erodes your happiness. Debt erodes your happiness. So this is just pretty much common sense, right? None of this stuff makes you happy. So here's the application. Stop. Just stop it. This is what Jesus would say. Just don't do that anymore. Right? If the connection between money and happiness is how you manage it, then get rid of these three things and you'll be a lot more happy with your money. How much money would it take to eliminate discontentment? How much more money would it take for you to eliminate greed? See, <clears throat> at the end of the day, these are heart issues. They're not solved with more. You'll never solve your discontentment with more. You'll never solve greed with more. You'll never solve debt with more because they're appetites that are never fully and finally satisfied. So instead, the issue with heart issues isn't about more. It's about how do I manage what I've been entrusted and the plan that we find for wise management has always been the same. We, we started this church almost 18 years ago. And every time that we talk about giving, we say the exact same thing. I'm like, this is so repetitive. I don't know how else to teach it. This is just so basic. This, is, this comes right from the scriptures. It's wisdom. Even if you're not a faith person or a God person, like, like this will help your life. Okay, Here, here's the principle. We taught it to our kids. Uh, we teach it every single time we talk on this. We'll always come back to this. Give, save, live. Give, save, live, give, save, live, give, save, live, give, save, live, give, save, live. My hope is that someday you'll go, hey, what, somebody goes, what, is, what does Westbridge teach about money? Oh, that's easy. Give, save, live. Give out of the first you give, then you save, then you live on the rest. And for most of our culture, this is what we do. Live, save, give. We, we live first. We spend on ourselves. We live our lives. We pay our bills. We, we might save a little. And then if there happens to be anything left over after that, we might give. And Everything through the scriptures and everything modeled by Jesus shows us that's the opposite. That if we would give first and then save and then live on the rest, that we would experience incredible, incredible satisfaction in life, peace, happiness. In fact, to give, we'll start with give. Give actually equals joy. Like if you want to experience joy, learn to be generous. Generosity is core to what it means to follow Jesus because at the very center of the message of Jesus was God so loved the world that he gave. The center of the message of the good news of Jesus is a, is a message of generosity. And in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to a guy named Timothy and Paul was a, a guy that would travel around the first century and he was traveling all around the Roman Empire and starting churches he started a church in Ephesus, and then he, he turns that church over to a young guy named Timothy, and he's writing back to him and describing how people who have extra, followers of Jesus who are rich in this world, how they should handle that. He gives him a couple pieces of wisdom. Uh, in this first set of verses, he says this, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. He's like, you want them to know what wealth is? It's when they have enough, but they're content. They're not constantly striving for more. They've managed what they've been given. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Great wisdom. And then a few verses later, he continues, and he says this. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. And we all know this is true, right? Money comes, money goes. Easy in, easy out. More money, more problems. All right. <laughs> Tell them to use their money to do good, 
They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. That they may experience true life. He's like, the life that is truly life, you can't take any of it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can invest it in things that have eternal significance. And living a life of generosity fights against the assumption of consumption. Hey, I want to challenge every single person who's a follower of Jesus. Now, now some of you are, the, you'd say this, okay, I'm just exploring here. Well, slow your roll, preacher man. Like, uh, this is my first time, and I'm just checking this thing out, all right? Totally understandable. You keep exploring. You keep asking questions. For every single one of us who has said yes to the grace of Jesus, that we have received an incredible gift from God. If you're a follower of Jesus, then I want to challenge you. Let that grace that you've received from Jesus so affect you and so change your heart, so change your mindset that you would say, man, freely I have received, freely I will give. I want to challenge you. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge every person who's a follower of Jesus to give regularly, intentionally, and systematically every time that you receive. That's the way of Jesus. Every time that you get money, you say to your money, money, you're not my master. I'm not enslaved by you. I'm going to give some of you away. And every time that you get money, that's your way of saying to God, God, you are the one that I'm devoted to. So I'm going to give first. Give, save, live, give, save, live. So the first part of that is give. And when you do that, here's what you experience. Joy. If you've never experienced the joy that comes from giving out of what's been entrusted to you, I'm telling you, there is incredible joy in living a generous life. In fact, we get the word miserable from the word miser. The person who lives like this ends up living a miserable life. And the person who lives open-handed and says, freely I have received, freely I will give, that's the kind of person that lives a joy-filled life. And so the first thing you want to do, every time that you, money comes in, the first thing you do, give. You'll experience joy. The second thing, save, right? Give, save, live. Number two, save. That equals peace. You want to experience peace? Don't spend everything that comes your way. Right? And you save. You put it away into savings. You say, well, man, I don't know if I can afford to do that. For most of us, we can't afford to do that and maintain all of our current lifestyle. If we would make some lifestyle adjustments, we could afford to save. Money in the bank leads to peace of mind. Here's what I can tell you. Greed never brings you peace. It won't. Discontentment never brings you peace. Debt never brings you peace. And if your happiness is tied to peace, then you would be wise to give Save, live on the rest. Give first, save next. Again, in Proverbs, the wisdom of Proverbs, the wisdom of Solomon, he writes this. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. That's called me at 15. When it came to me, it didn't spend long in my pocket. I was like, I got some money. I got to spend it. That's a foolish way to live your life. If you spend whatever you get, you will not be at peace. And that leads us to number three. Number three is live on the rest. That equals freedom. When you give and then you save and then you live on the rest, it equals freedom. The way that you combine generosity and wisdom is give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. In fact, such a, again, such incredible wisdom. And again, even if you're not a church person, you should put this into practice in your life because it's such good wisdom. It's such good common sense. Solomon would write this. He would say, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. Here's what that means. In the agricultural society that Solomon was a part of, the fields 
are income producing. And the house is income spending, right? It's, it, the money is going out. It's an expenditure. And so what Solomon would say is this. Hey, before you build your house, make sure you know what's coming in. Before you, before you have expenses that are going out, make sure you know what's coming in. And for, for some of us, we're like, ah, let's just go for it and then hope that the money comes in. Let's spend it because I want it and I'd rather owe <coughs> than have to want. Solomon says, it's not a wise way to live your life. And, and here's what you're doing un- unintentionally. You think it's gonna lead to happiness and it might for three days. And then, you know what you're robbing yourself of? Peace. You won't have peace. And when you don't have peace, you won't be happy. If it undermines your sense of peace, you're undermining your own happiness by your own actions. So don't do that. Solomon would say, look, do your planning, prepare your fields before you build your house. And then you can build your house to the size appropriate to what's coming in. And then he would write this, and again in Proverbs, such great wisdom. Know the state of your flocks. Put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Solomon says, look, the economy, it's not always going to stay the same. The crown gets passed to another king, and things can change, and laws can change, and rules can change. So your riches aren't going to last forever. The economy comes and goes. So don't depend on that. Know the state of your flocks. Know the state of your herds. Know what's coming in before you Say what's going out. You know what that is? Freedom. When you go to set your budget, you don't say, what do I want? You say, hey, how much is coming in? First, I'm going to give this, then I'm going to save this, and then here's what's left, and I'm just going to live on whatever's left. And what you experience in that is freedom. In fact, here's what we've taught our kids. 10, 10, 80. If you're like, well, how much do I give? How much do I save? 10, 10, 80. Give 10% right off the top. Put 10% in savings right off the top, and then live on the rest. And if you will... Give, save, live, 10, 10, 80. Here's what you'll have. Joy, peace, and freedom. Joy, peace, and freedom. This is a holy shift from I gotta have more to I just gotta manage however much is coming in. This is the connection between happiness and money. This is how you make your money make you happy. You cannot serve two masters. The connection between your money and your happiness is not more. It is how you manage however much has been given. When I was 10 years old, my dad had just gotten out of jail. He was heading right towards Marvin Gardens. We were playing Monopoly. <laughs> and um, sorry, I should have said it that way first. Um, and my dad played Monopoly not like some pushover parent that would like let his kids win or even try to teach you the rules, all right? He was ruthless. There were no participation trophies in Monopoly at our house. And, and when you're younger and you get that first amount of money in the beginning of the game, you don't want to spend it. You're like, oh, I got a couple of 500s here. You know, I got some money. And you don't want to spend it. But, you know, what you lo- know as an adult is that you got to spend money to make money. My dad knew that. And so he would spend all, he'd buy every property that he could. He'd leverage his properties, mortgage those properties to buy more properties so he could build hotels. And I'm just like, no, I got to keep these couple of 500s, right? And then eventually what happens is, uh, you know, I land on one of his boardwalk with three hotels on it and it wipes me out in one turn. And I could never figure out how to beat him. And then finally I'm just like, okay, I'm catching on. I'm 10 years old, I'm catching on. And I realize what I got to do is what he's doing. I got to spend everything, buy as many properties as I can, get all of it as I can. And so this one night, I'm 10 years old, I finally figure it out. 
And man, I, I was like, I'm gonna be as ruthless as he is. And so he's in jail and he wants to stay in jail because in jail, you don't have to pay anything. And so he rolls doubles and I'm like, yes, he's getting out of jail. He's heading straight for Marvin Gardens. I'm like, this is it. And he lands on Marvin Gardens and I wiped him out. I took every last dollar and every shred of his dignity. It's awesome. I can remember where I was sitting. I can remember the scene. I mean, it was amazing. Such a core memory for me, okay? And then my dad said something I'll never forget. Make sure you put it all back in the box before you go to bed. Time out, wait, what? No, 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 I, I, I want to bronze this right now. Like, I want it to sit permanently on our dining room table as a testament to my business acumen, all right? Hey, make sure you put it all in the box before you go to bed. That was a pretty short-lived victory. All of my hotels, all that I had accomplished, all that I had accrued, it all goes back in the box. And the same thing is true for you and me. It doesn't matter what we, you know, how much of it we acquire and accumulate and possess while we're here on earth. At the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. You're not taking any of it with you. So the question is, not how much of it can I accumulate while I'm here, but how will I manage it so that I can leverage it to experience joy, peace, freedom? See, that's the question. And imagine what your life would look like if every time that you got money, every time that it came to you, you gave first, Money comes in and you give it to God's kingdom as an eternal investment. And then you save and you live on the rest. Imagine, imagine if you lived that way for years and years and years and years and years and years. Wherever you find yourself in life, what if you just started the day and said, okay, 10, 10, 80, give, save, live on the rest. And you may not be able to get there this week, but maybe that's something you work for in 2024. How do I get to that point in 2024? You would be happy as it relates to your finances. You would experience joy peace, and freedom. So your best option is to invite your heavenly father to manage you as you learn to manage your money, to say yes to Jesus as you continue to manage what he's entrusted to you. Giving always leads to joy. Saving always leads to peace. Living on the rest always leads to freedom. So in 2024, let's make a holy shift. Let's shift away from, I just got to get more to let's manage well whatever God has entrusted to us. At the center of this message is this, God so loved the world God so loved you, God so loved me, that he sent his son Jesus into this world, that everyone who believes, everyone who puts their trust in him, who says, okay, I'm gonna be devoted to you. I'm not gonna be devoted to the pursuit for more. I'm gonna be devoted to you. Everyone who says, God, I trust in you. I need you. I can't do this on my own. Won't perish. In other words, won't be lost to God, but will experience eternal life, a life that is truly life, a life that does not end. And we're invited into that. You're invited, I'm invited, and you don't behave your way in, you don't earn your way in, you can't like unsin your way in or church attend your way in. It's just an invitation that's been extended by the God who created you and loves you. And if you've never said yes to that, I want to invite you to say yes to a God who is generous towards you. And then, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've said yes, you've experienced the generosity of God towards you, then maybe it's time to adopt a posture that says, freely I have received, freely I will give. I want you to hear me say this. In 2023, as a church collectively, we were able to give away more money than we've ever given away before. 
We, we're able to do that because so many of you already live this way and you've experienced the joy and the peace and the freedom that comes when you give, save, live on the rest. And I want you to hear me say, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And for the rest of us, maybe it's time to consider living this way in 2024. And if you've never said yes to Jesus and you wanna say yes to that invitation to be a part of God's family, just agree with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you and I'm so grateful you never walk away from me. And so I wanna say yes to your invitation. Make me your son, make me your daughter. Help me to put my trust in you and to follow you in your way of living as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us who have been entrusted with so much. God, may we adopt this posture, not of more, 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 but how do we manage well what has been entrusted to us? And as we do that, God, freely we have received. May we freely give and may our lives point people to you in the process. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.